The numbers didn't add up anymore. Nothing made sense anymore. But the numbers add up again, Thomas. The numbers do add up. A voracious life form terrorizes the station. Oh, save yourself! Now the crew faces an all-out war. By then, you'll be hungry again. On an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Match incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. out there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 of babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are a group of and this is new here because we had somebody on twitter tell us they didn't like us calling the old people old bees or lifelong fans so we are a group of newbies and first ones who have either watched the show for the first time or have watched the entire show. So the first section here, we are going to join with our newbies who have just watched up to this episode, which is Grail. And we're going to talk to them about their first impressions, their predictions, their questions. And then once we get done with that, we're going to kick them out the airlock and we're going to keep our first ones who have been seeing the entire show on and talk about how this interacts with the entire series. So as I mentioned, we are here to talk about Grail. I am Scott and with me as always is Blake, Bessie, Emily, Justin, Nicole, Andrew, Mike, Kevin, and John. Look at that. You all did it right. So before we get started talking about Grail, I do want to hit on a couple things from the community. First and foremost, if you have not done so already, please, please, please make sure you like, follow, subscribe, whatever you can do with your podcast app or on YouTube, and be sure to leave us a review. And I want to read off one review we just got. The review on Apple Podcasts is Made Me a B5 Fan. This podcast is fantastic. I love the back and forth with the newbies and the longtime fans. As a B5 newbie myself, I can relate to their reactions and questions. I don't think I would enjoy the show nearly as much without the podcast crew. Their discussions are great and make me appreciate everything from each episode, even if I didn't care for a particular storyline or character. The popularity of B5 and the number of active fans for a show that is almost 30 years old gave me hope I would love it, but I wasn't truly hooked until the episode signs and portents. I have so many questions. I am looking forward to more conversations and potential heated debates from the gray 17 crew keep up the great work and that came from ditzy carol so ditzy carol we love you ditzy carol actually i know who ditzy carol is we love you ditzy carol but I'm, I don't know if I can say her real name. So Ditsy Carol, it is. You're not, you're uh, not that Ditsy. Believe in yourself. <laughs> believe in yourself, Kim. Believe. Know your worth. And then I also threw out guys on the Twitter and Facebooks for feedback on Grail. So let's hear a little bit from people on the social medias. Here's one from Chuckle Nugget. Is this the Chuckle Nugget? No, this is actually... <laughs> This is actually Brent. Oh, okay. Called, okay. So should we get in the chuckle nugget real quick? Should we, we should. In, I was waiting. The, yeah. Should we get what in the, the nugget fuck gate? is chuckle nugget? Nugget oh. gate. Okay. So for those who don't watch Babylon five for the first time, you should, they're a great podcast. There's two guys who are watching Babylon five for the first time. I know Jesse, you, you listen to them or they're dope. I like them. So <laughs> Brent and Jeff got an email <laughs> from a listener. 
And that email was not nice. And it was rather mm, abrasive and finally said that Brent was a chuckle nugget and didn't understand the show. But he didn't say Brent was the chuckle nugget. Brent just assumed it was him. Well, come to find out, and this actually, they talk about this in their uh, A Voice in the Wilderness Part 2, I think. So if you want to listen to it, newbies, you haven't got there yet. But in their A Voice in the Wilderness Part 2 discussion, they talk more about this. So Jeff reached out to the emailer and said, hey, I'm sorry you don't like us, but what's going on? And the emailer kind of starts complaining again and says, well, you guys have only got three episodes so far up. And he's like, no, we got more than that. So then they start doing a little bit of detective work and realize the guy had emailed the wrong podcast. He actually meant to email us. (laughs) So we are the Chuckle Nuggets. Brent is going to continue to claim it. And Brent, I, if you're listening, I will fight you for the chuckle nugget. Thr- uh, I like thrown. it. I like it. But yeah, so we got hate mail sent to them. The least we can yeah. do is let them keep chuckle <laughs> yeah. nugget. See, so now we're getting your hate mail to us, but we are getting hate mail sent to other podcasts. So we really do appreciate it. We really do. So chuckle nugget, who again, I think should give us the, the that title, but he's, he says, uh, and this is Brent from uh, Babylon five for the first time, the quest performance of, I'm assuming he meant the best, but he says the quest performance of season one will episode that will get a lot of flack. Otherwise I imagine the fandom doesn't love this one, but it's incredibly layered and hits emotional beats. Signs importance could never not sure if I agree with chuckle nugget, but that's his feedback. So guys, uh, again, if you can uh, be sure to like subscribe, review, send us reviews, send us feedback on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, on Facebook, we just had somebody create a thread just for memes, which is fun. And then if you can go one step further, we have started our Patreon. Our Patreon account is uh, patreon.com slash gray17podcast. Let's go ahead and start first impressions on Grail. And we're going to go to Andrew first. Andrew, first impressions. Okay, I wasn't expecting to go first. Uh, <laughs> this episode was all right. For me personally, it kind of felt a little out of place that like it's this like grand sci-fi show and then there's suddenly this guy here who's looking for like the holy grail that as they mentioned is part of arthurian legend uh and we did get to see kosh so i'm happy jesse next go ahead impression Um, okay so i'm sitting there and i'm watching the episode and i literally had the oh shit i think i like this show moment right like clearly signs importance from what we released what last week you could tell that i might really get into it but i thoroughly enjoyed this episode except i legit thought we saw another dick today um when the thing comes out and smacks him in the forehead i was like oh great more dicks like welcome to the show everybody (laughs) and and in all real in all reality we might have it's right so i'm like what is that like is this just gonna be a recurring theme and then maybe it was maybe it wasn't it was i liked it i thought it was a good episode i enjoyed it it was exciting um had a couple different plots it was fun i love the fact that you've bought into this now like a science importance was not like a a a flash in the pan you're actually in that's great no i yeah i watched it and i was like oh shit i think i actually enjoyed this and you know i'm just excited to see where it goes so i will say to the tentacle comment uh i did way too much research to find out if it was the same tentacle or not remember too we thought we discussed this last week with the quality of mercy that quality the quality of mercy was actually originally aired as episode 21 of 22 but for some reasons hbo max has put it much sooner so you wouldn't have if you were watching this in 94 you would not have seen londo play poker 
yet, but you have because of the HBO Max. So I could not find anything that would say that it was the same prop. It was shaped the same. It looked exactly It was the same fucking thing. I'm I'm 100% sure it is the same prop, but I cannot confirm with any research that it's the same prop. Can we just express how disturbed some of us might be that Scott is out researching tentacle dicks in between episodes? (laughs) You know what? We have a quality professional show and I do what I have to. to He did his due diligence, guys. I bet that Google search wasn't safe for work. You know what? Our, our, Our audience expects a little bit more from us and I give it to them. That's what she said. You do. Six times. I'm just, hoping, I'm just hoping we go one episode without seeing this tentacle thing come out. <laughs> well, we'll find out next week and we'll talk about this. <laughs> so, in Beyond the Rim, we'll talk about how many times we get to see Londo's dicks. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> or Kosh's, fake Kosh's, whatever. Moving on. Moving on. I'm, I'm going to ask the question about Kosh later, but before we do that, Nicole, you're up. Impression. So I don't know if I was just overtired today, um, but I actually teared up at the end of this episode. Aww. Like actually had a tear in my eyes. Like I was like, what's wrong with me? I had to like wipe my eyes. It was crazy. Um, Overall, I liked it. I thought there was a lot of, for lack of better words, chemistry between Dylan and Sinclair. There was some looks and some, you know, she's like, I know you better than you think. And he's like, what? I don't know. I thought there was something between them. The Londo and Vera hiding was hilarious to me, by the way. That made me laugh. Um, and then let's see, we learned a lot of history about the Membari with their religious and warrior case and um, how true seekers are sacred to them and how they need to be treated with respect. And it was very historical, like about their religion and things like that. So that was kind of cool. Uh, we learned about the Babylon curse. I didn't hear about that before. So that was kind of fun. Um, a little bit of background with Jinxo and his history. And then um, Guy Hitch, uh, is that how you say it? Guy Hitch was his name, I believe. Um, his history was really interesting, too. Although um, it really drove me crazy because I couldn't place what he was from. And then I realized he's from literally everything. But overall, I thought it was a good episode. I don't know why I got emotional at the end, but I did. I don't know. Maybe it's because he died and Thomas was reformed. I don't know. But it was it was a good, good episode. No. Let's go to Emily next. First impressions. What the fuck are they eating? Sinclair and Garibaldi? Yeah, I thought the same thing. Ew. And then, oh my god, it's Larry! Where's his brother Daryl and his other brother Daryl? And if you don't get that reference, screw you, okay? I I was waiting for somebody to pick up on it. Right? I was, like, way too excited about that. Yeah, like, Jesse, I was worried that it was another Centauri penis episode, and I was not in the mood for that. Thankfully, it turned out to be somewhat different. But, yeah, I liked it, and Dylan did seem a little extra flirty with Sinclair in this one. So, uh, that was interesting. Speaking of Centauri penises, John, go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> I am awesome. Um, I'm like, episode. <laughs> Apparently, I'm the only one who, uh, yet again, gets to be the Debbie Downer. I didn't really like this episode, so maybe the order did hurt it because last episode, unlike Jesse and Emily, I thought was awesome. Uh, this is a bit of a, a come down, if you will. Um, and I just, I don't know, the story itself didn't really uh, <laughs> uh, work for me. I was happy to see, I, I prefer him as E.B. Farnham, big Deadwood fan. Um, but William Sanderson is Deuce. That was, again, the show, it, it, like every episode, we, we still... Um, uh, talk about like the guest stars or the people that you know you see now or then that that you know now and um so it was it was fun to see him 
Um, David Warner, again, uh, he will always be Spicer Lovejoy from Titanic, you know, the bad guy from Titanic uh, for me. And another thing I caught, though, I saw Harlan Ellison had a conceptual consultant credit, um, which was interesting for a couple of reasons, if only because um, as we record this now, they're having a giant Harlan Ellison auction yes, yes. and a bunch of stuff is up for auction. And so it was weird. Like I had just been seeing it and looking over all those items. And then I saw that credit and I thought, oh man, that's cool. So um, I'll save some of my detailed thoughts for the episode, but I just, it just didn't do it for me. I'm going to sidetrack us here for a second because you mentioned Harlan Ellison and he's been he's been on the credits from day one. He is very much uh, involved in the production of this because of his friendship with JMS. So real quick, JMS goes into a lot more detail on his book. The first interaction he had with Harlan Ellison was back in the 70s, maybe or late 60s. Harlan Ellison had his personal phone number out there to the world uh, because most writers did. I mean, celebrity was different back then. JMS is a young guy called up Harlan Ellison because he was having writer's block and he was going to ask his favorite author why, uh, how to get rid of writer's block. Harlan Ellison picked up the phone basically told him off for a few minutes and hung up the phone and they didn't talk again for about a decade. So, but um, at the end of it, uh, JMS and Harlan Ellison were very much uh, lifelong friends. And actually the auction you're talking about is being run by the Harlan Ellison foundation, which is being run by JMS. JMS took over the estate when Harlan passed away. So that auction's being run by James. Oh, nice. Oh, I, I will say, as always, Lando crushed this episode. So the <laughs> shining bright spot, as always, is Lando and beer. Nice. So Justin, first impressions. Well, I mean, a lot of you already shot most of my first impression notes to shit. So thank you very much. <laughs> but um, honestly, yeah, I mean, I'm on the bandwagon. Like, I like those first few scenes where I really thought that she was getting slapped in the face by a Centauri love tentacle, I guess we'll call it, but um, it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's what it is. You know what? It's how many times are we going to see this from now on? You know, it's the, it's the Cinemax version of Babylon five. Apparently, honestly, David Warner was as wonderful as I expected him to be. Um, I've always been a big fan of his. I really think that there's, there was actually a lot of good stuff in here. Like some people may love it. Some people may hate it. I love grail mythology. So I love the fact that they brought that in there. The Babylon curse kind of learning more about what happened to some of the previous stations was really cool. And then really we got a lot of hints of Delin and Sinclair where I think he made, I think she made the comment earlier about Sinclair actually said it, you know, he may be our only seeker and Delin, I guess, responded that you don't know yourself as well as you think you do or something to that effect. So like even Delenn was dropping a lot of hints to Sinclair about maybe some kind of special destiny or something like that, that Sinclair has within the Babylon five universe. And I honestly thought Ivanova stole the entire last scene. And I'm glad to now finally know where that boom meme comes from. <laughs> yeah, we use I, that one a lot. <laughs> honestly. And that's where I thought it was brilliant. And he's like, well, there's no, boom today but there's always a boom tomorrow you no know? boom today and boom yeah tomorrow. and i thought always it was boom tomorrow yeah and then boom like honestly like that to me made the whole episode and that just had me come come away with a really good feeling about the whole thing i i thought it was great and honestly i really didn't hate jinxo i guess as much as everyone else did yes it wasn't the best acting in the world but, you know, kind of seeing how he kind of becomes, I guess, the next grand master of the Knights Templar in Essential um, was actually kind of 
I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see if we'll ever see anything more of that. I will say um, a couple episodes from now that boom, will have a callback, which is one of my favorite scenes with Ivanova ever. You'll know it when you see it. It's great. Um, yeah, actually you were the first one to bring up Jinxo as we're recording. So we don't know where everyone else stands on Jinxo yet, but I guess we're going to find out. <laughs> uh, let's go to the first ones. I love that name. I'm going to use that all the time now. Blake, anything you want to add about Grail? I hate that I'm going to do this, but I'm going to agree with John. Actually, this is not an episode that I particularly care for. And and a lot of it is, it's, I think out of the entire run, this is one of the handful of episodes. It's just a complete throwaway. There's not really a lot of connection um, to the overall arc. There's, there's a couple lines in it, but I mean, really it's lasting legacy is no boom today, boom tomorrow, always boom tomorrow. That, that is the only like redeeming piece and lasting piece of this episode. Other than that, it's complete throwaway. So the Beyond the Rim segment is going to be really long, guys, if in case you're paying attention. Kevin, what do you got? I, I think some of the, the insight into the Mimbari, how spiritual they are in this episode is interesting. Seekers of knowledge. Um are are so revered. Uh they're they're deeply spiritual, at least the uh the religious cast is um and some of the some of the uh the garibaldi lines in this uh this episode are pretty funny i really enjoy uh reduced to a rutabaga and brain mulched for whatever reason i i i thought uh i thought a couple of those were, were really funny but it it is kind of a throwaway it, it would be fairly unremarkable without such a prestigious actor david warner being a part of the episode which i've been a fan of his for a heck of a long time as people on our facebook group know because i i had quite a quite a post about it when he passed uh, away in the last couple months so for that alone i think it's it's definitely a uh, a worthwhile watch um but uh yeah, I, I i can't really disagree too much with john blake that much mike while you're busy putting tentacles into the chat please <laughs> Tell us your impressions of Grail. I'm sorry. I'm trying to, uh, yeah, get the chuckles out because I'm typing out the ASCII space dicks in the chat. Um, yeah. Um, overall, this is not my favorite episode. I, I found it enjoyable, but at the same time, um, you know, Tom Booker's acting left a bit to be desired. I, I thought a lot of the acting kind of left a lot to be desired. I couldn't unsee William Sanderson as Larry from Newhart. Uh, throughout this whole thing you know the story was fine it was cute it was whatever it kind of as others have pointed out it didn't have any lasting impact besides maybe a little bit of light world building um to me the most interesting part was the detailed well (laughs) quote-unquote detailed history of what happened to the last four babylon stations because i don't think we've heard it spelled out quite the same way uh, before but um yeah overall i mean it's uh it's it's a real milk toast kind of episode it's it's not remarkable it's just whatever which is a shame actually it's a shame because there are some relatively big name cameo appearances from william sanderson famous from blade runner uh and uh, david warner famous from uh quest of the delta knights if you're a mystery science theater fan Jesus. uh yeah i went he's, there I think he's got a few other credits sorry <laughs> tron uh i also wrote down freakazoid and Batman the Animated Series, of course. William Sanderson was also in Batman the Animated Series as a reoccurring character, Dr. Carl Rossum, who mm. ran Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Suck on that, nerds. And other than that, um, you know, Tom Booker was the 
kind of the one and done in this one. Uh, Jim Norton was back as Ombuds Wellington, and I'm surprised nobody called me out on this last time. I realized as as I was watching this episode, I, I made some remark in the last recording about them not referencing him in the credits as Judge Wellington. I didn't realize Ombuds was a title. Yep. I thought that was his first Ombudsman. name. So way to go, all of you uh, law and politic nerds for not calling me out on that sooner. We figure you just are dumb enough on your own that you don't need to be corrected. It's it's fact. Apparently. I didn't know either. So I, you're yep. we're listening to you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, and also fair. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's all I got to say about it for real, though. It's, you know, I didn't hate the episode, but especially after you've kind of crested over the signs and portents and we start getting into the meat of the series, this one coming up, having big names and then kind of just being a bottle episode that was kind of silly overall, uh, you know, it's, it's like it's a three out of ten at best. For me, this is an interesting episode. Mike, to your point about how it kind of, and actually, Blake, you said this too, about how it seems like a really bottle episode just after a few episodes since Sign Importance, which really kind of kicked everything in the gear. This is production number nine in terms of production order. So uh, the reason, the assumption, the reason why this took so long to get released in terms of viewing order is this is the first episode where we have a full CGI alien in terms of the feeder. So I bet you they recorded it episode nine production order because they knew it was going to take some time for the, um, the post effects, which is why we got this later on the season than normal. And even HBO order, not HBO order. This is always a later episode in the season than what uh, production order would tell you for me personally. This is one of my favorite episodes of season one. And I can't tell you why I think it's because as a kid, it, 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 it really, connected with me for some reason i'm i'm almost thinking it is my love for indiana jones and the last crusade which came out a few years before this and it is the best indiana jones movie hands down and you all can fight me on that last crusade is the best indiana jones movie so i think much like justin i i I like the crusade myths i i really enjoy that kind of stuff so that already probably caught 11 year old me and grabbed me but i'm also one where i don't know why i like jinxo and i like Tom Booker's performance is Jinxo. I think it's just the naivete of it all that I like. So to that end, I got the opportunity and so did Kevin to actually interview Tom Booker, who was the actor who played Jinxo. So before you all rip him a new one, let's hear a little bit from Tom himself about his uh, experience on Babylon 5. Hi, uh, everybody. My name is Tom Booker. I uh, play Jigsaw in Babylon 5, my really one and only, my biggest uh, role, television or otherwise, uh, except unless you count late night bad taste theater. Um, uh, And I've just been an actor, uh, a writer, a director, and uh, mostly a, um, I'm also a teacher and an acting coach. So I guess that's, I, I don't know. It's for, for decades, people have been asking me, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm not sure. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, financially secure. That's, that's the goal right now. That's... I think you may have picked the wrong. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, a lot of money in improv. A lot of money in improv. Sure? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Second only to puppetry. There you go. 
And when they were casting the pilot, uh, I got called in about five or six times for beer. And, uh, that went to, went to Steven first. Mm -hmm. And so, and, um, and, and, uh, like I went to producers uh, many times and then they, they told me that, uh, well, we're, we're going to bring in on something else. They felt bad. Uh, it, it was really close. It would have been nice. Um, although, uh, I like to say about my performance in Babylon 5, I like to say that uh, you can tell I didn't eat much of the craft service table because I sure did chew a lot of scenery. <laughs> that's such a, that's just, a, you know, that's one of those uh, turn left moments there, isn't it? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yep. what if? Uh, mm -hmm. You had uh, gone ahead and taken on that role that would have obviously uh, had you working at that craft service table a lot more than just the one episode. Yeah, that. Um, uh, yeah, I remember when my agent called me and I, I said, "Tom, they, they, uh, you didn't get it. They, they wanted to go with the name." And I went, "Wait, Flounder from Animal <laughs> right. House? Flounder's the name. It, yeah. it's, it's the name. Okay." Yeah. All right. So, uh, yep. That's that's how I got it. And and um, uh, the casting director, I can't. Uh, Slater was her last name. Uh, oh, it's uh, Christian Slater's mom. Mm-hmm. It's Mary Jo Slater. Apparently, was a big Tom Booker fan. Very nice. Everybody was very nice. It was a nice process. I was. Uh, and then when I got to audition for the Grail. Uh, uh, I, I slept, I've never done this before or since, but I slept with the uh, script under my pillow, hoping that it would bring me luck. So you had either the two fairy coming or the, uh, I guess, acting fairy? Question. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, and that's, and then when, um, and, uh, Christy, the writer, when we were shooting it, uh, said that she wanted to, um, in between setups, she goes, I have an idea for a sequel where you come back and you found something. It's not the grail, but it might be something. And I, I found out recently at that book interview that apparently this was the last thing that she wrote for television. Uh, apparently there were a lot of people that this was their last Babylon 5 I didn't know that the director had been let go before he shot this episode. Hmm. And uh, I really take the blame for all of that. <laughs> uh, I guess there was a, uh, I, I, I was, uh, somehow I was notified there was a, a podcast about Babylon 5 where they called me the, the worst actor in the world. And uh, then I went back and watched some of it like, huh, they're not wrong. Uh, I, I, uh, I think there's, I mean, I love doing commercials, but I think there's a real reason. There, there are people that are actors and there are people that are performers. You see, I, yeah. you know, I, I'm not sucking up. I swear uh -huh. to God, I'm not yeah. sucking up. But one of the things we talk about in our show um, is when we first watched B5. And for me, I watched it when it first released. I, I'm 99% sure I was about 11 years old watching it in 93, 94. But I don't remember much of it because I was 11 years old watching it for the first time. So most of my memories are when I would re watch it later on when it hit TNT back in 97, 98, whatever that was. But I got to tell you, one of the things I do remember is how much, and again, I'm not sucking up, how much I enjoyed Jinxo. Oh, and uh, seriously, because uh, Grail is one of those episodes that pops out probably for two reasons. One, I enjoy your character, but also with uh, David Warner, I being a Star Trek fan, when uh, Chancellor Gorkhan's on the screen, I pay attention. I think, I'm not ent entirely sure what it is, but you bring that character, you you give it kind of a, a naivety 
but also a passion for, you know, just caring about other people that I think stands out. So, yeah, I think there is some scenery chewing. I will not argue with you on that. Yeah, you can tell. tell On the list of people that chewed some scenery on Babylon 5, there are a lot of people ahead of you. Yeah, you're you're, you're probably right. right. But now for for at least 11-year-old Scott, uh, you made an impression. So good So based on that interview, guys, the one thing that stood out to me, aside from just Tom being a really nice guy. So thank you, Tom, for uh, taking time to interview with us. And the full interview will be available as a bonus episode later this week. He mentions that there was a moment there in his recollection that he was up to play Veer, Veer Kodo. And as he said, they decided to go with a name actor in Steven first. And so he got Jinxo. Let's take a moment here and think about the idea of this uh, actor, Tom, being Veer. Any thoughts on that? The way Veer is portrayed the first couple episodes that he's in, it's so goofy and dopey and stupid and over the top. Like, I don't, I don't know. I can kind of see it. <laughs> The problem is Stephen first plays that well. This guy would fuck it up. That's sorry, but I mean, maybe not though. Maybe he's a good comedian, and we don't know about I mean, that. It's, it seemed I don't. And I, I mean, I can't say that I don't whether Veer's character changed or not. I mean, obviously, yeah, I can't say whether it does or not. But I'll say that the way he's portrayed early on, I think, is really kind of in Tom Booker's wheelhouse, honestly. So if the character was meant to be different, Tom might have been the guy for the role at one point. And of course, it's all based to not only in the actor's performance, but what's written for him on the page. So Veer is a different character than Jinxo. So you'd have supposedly a, a different performance from Tom as well, too. I'll be honest. I think Stephen First is amazing. And without going into any details about Veer after this episode, Veer's a great character. Stephen stands out as one of the the great side uh, characters, co-stars, whatever you want to call them, of this show. But there is an alternate universe out there, supposedly, in one of the multiverses where the opening credits says Tom Booker on it. And that is an interesting idea to me. So, you know, I think Tom Booker, what the role is, and I think you even mentioned this from the interview, he did it. So he's not that good of an actor. And, you know, we've even commented through this episode, just about every scene he has, he has this like grin or smile on his face. Yeah. You know, sees the alien smiling, guy dying in his arms, smiling. And, you know, Stephen first can put that depth and range into the role because you see episodes with Veer where he's got that, you know, bumbling, innocent fool to other times where he, you know, will be angry or happy. And you can actually see the expression and the different feelings in the performance. So while Tom might be a great comedian or a good comedian, the acting ability to actually translate that to the role just wasn't there. John, what do you got? No, here's the thing. You know, switching the roles. I want to hang out with Beer and the actor who plays him. What I don't want to do is punch him in his dumb face. And that's what I feel like I would feel if this guy had been Veer throughout the throughout the run. Again, probably a really great guy. And as you guys have attested to, probably sounds like it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just glad it didn't work out that way. I mean, I, I I guess I would agree that I don't really think he would have been a good choice for Veer. But I really don't think he was a bad choice for what he was. I mean, Jinxo is a bumbling kind of, you know, they even say during his trial, you're a very bad thief. I think he did well for the 
for the role that he was portraying. And I think that he was meant to play that kind of bubbling idiot who stumbles into something greater and becomes something greater by the end of the episode to where now he has a purpose. On Babylon 5, he was just there with absolutely no purpose whatsoever. And then find meet someone who helps him gain a greater purpose and a greater sense of self and what he's supposed to be doing in life. And really, I think that I think the character just ended up turning out really well by the end of the episode to where I was actually really happy for him and seeing him, you know, take over this role and going out there and trying to find the Holy Grail. Like I thought I really didn't have any objection to anything that this guy did. You know, Justin, I think you kind of hit what I was trying to get at earlier. And that is, I like the, 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 the arc that Jinxo goes on somebody who is believes that they are complete and totally a jinx, but then turns into Thomas at the end and is able to take his own life into his own hands and decide what he wants to do with it. But I will point out that he exits Babylon five. Did anyone catch the name of the ship he's getting on? Did anyone catch it? The Mary Celeste. Anyone know what the Mary Celeste is? It's an old sailing ship that was found abandoned floating in the Atlantic with no crew on it. And no one knows what happened to the Mary Celeste. So, and JMS did say that he did that on purpose. So uh, I don't know if we'll see Thomas again or not, but he did get on the Mary Celeste and we'll leave it at that. That's interesting. I did take a note about the tra- the name of the transport that Aldous arrived on was the Von Braun. Yes. Mm, me too. Yeah. Ref- reference to Warner Von Braun, father of space travel. John, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So I was going to say that I actually disagree with his, his character arc actually annoyed me more because when we meet him, he's some bumbling degenerate who owes this space thug all this money. And then, you know, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I don't know what this court system is, um, where all of a sudden some random guy's just like, oh, by the way, I know he tried to steal from me, but I'll take it in my custody. And the judge is like, yeah, let me go back on my ruling and just give this guy to you. And then that somehow that guy goes from who he was to now he leads this whole order, which like, man, what, what's the state of this order that that's the chain of possession that this guy now runs your, your whole thing? I mean, even Garibaldi at the end is like, I don't know if this guy's going to show up. He doesn't seem all that reliable. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, with good purpose, probably. So I actually, um, you know, the acting aside, I actually didn't even enjoy the arc of the character myself. But Well, Aldous did say at the beginning, the, the order is him. Because uh, Sinclair alludes to the fact that he's he thinks Aldous is here to try to get some money out of the ambassadors. And Aldous is like, no, actually, I, I've got quite a bit of money because I've got the entire order's treasury with me because I am the order. So I read it as this thing has been passed down for generation after generation and the wealth has been passed down too and and even at the end when um all this is dying he makes sense sure i think it was sinclair witness that i give all my possessions to this man because he needs to make sure that whatever wealth is in the treasury of this order moves on too so the order is one guy which you know if you're a big fan of don quixote i mean tilting at windmills all the way here i think it's i think it's kind of romantic in the the fantasy sense that uh one person's trying to carry on this entire legacy no i question all this is judgment well he dude's dying you've got You've got like a, a certain amount of people in front of you that you can pick at this point. <laughs> he chose poorly to bring it to your last crusade. He chose oh, poorly. yes, he did. Cho- and that's the whole thing, too. We already know where the grail is, right? It's in a crack down some mountain somewhere. 
we know exactly where the grail is because we saw it. He also um, died by getting shot in the arm. So I don't. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. I was going to bring that up. The dude died because he got shot in the shoulder. I yes. mean, for crying out loud. And then he immediately knew he was dying. It was just yeah. like, oh, hold on. He's like, no, it's too late. They got me, dog. They got me. Science says you throw a tourniquet on it and he'll, he's going to, he, it's going to be okay. You're you know, gonna, when you're gonna, it, dude. William Shatner has done more convincing death scenes than this. <laughs> when, when a bridge fell on his head? <laughs> yes. Well, oh when you got David... <laughs> When you got David Warner on set, you got to have him do a death scene, right? That's how that works, right? Nicole, what do you got? You shot him somewhere more believable than the shoulder. I don't know. <laughs> we don't know how PBGs work. We do, but we don't. <laughs> um, a couple things I just wanted to kind of add is I saw a little bit of foreshadowing that maybe all did bleh, all this was kind of like grooming him to be the next him because the same quote that was said to all this was said to Thomas or Jinxo um, throughout their interactions. And then um, another thing I thought about too, that John kind of pointed on was at the end, they didn't show him there at first right away. And they weren't sure if he like Garibaldi and Sinclair were like, well, he's not reliable. He's not going to show up. And then he shows up. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then I don't know. I mean, Maybe it's just the optimist in me as usual, but maybe he just needs somebody to give him a chance. Like, you know, maybe this guy just had a string of bad luck or maybe he didn't have any confidence in himself or he didn't have any faith in himself. And somebody actually saw more in him and helped him to believe that he's more than what other people see. And that changed him and that arc kind of helped him get to the next level. So I thought that was, I don't know, it was heartwarming to me um, to see that change, um, you know, throughout their interactions. And, you know, because sometimes you see people who are down in luck and somebody just gives them a chance and they turn their whole lives around. So me, again, being the eternal optimist, I'm going to say, I think he's going to take it and run with it um, and hopefully, you know, become the next great truth seeker and look for his new person so um but yes i am too nice john <laughs> you're right uh but yeah i don't know i i just i i thought the whole thing was heartwarming i liked his arc and i just i don't know there was something about him that i was like oh this guy's down on his luck and i just kind of felt for him maybe that's why i got emotional at the end too because the interactions between him and all this and like i don't know i just thought again maybe i'm just too soft but i thought that they uh I thought they really created a cool arc for him. And it was really cool to see like the change in him. And I'm hoping for the best, but you know, we'll see. Kevin. Well, Jinxo's character, you know, he's clearly a, you know, a decent guy in the sense that he's staying on the station without a job to try and keep it safe. You know, he was down on his luck because he, uh, you know, he could have a job anywhere in the sector or anywhere else, but he's staying there because he doesn't want the, something bad to happen in the station that happened to the last four. So, you know, all this clearly saw something in him and he, he seems to have taken and ran with it. I, I really do like the story arc, uh, despite some of the other issues with, with uh, the episode. But the other thing I wanted to mention, I really enjoyed the kind of throwaway right, right uh, after the credit scene where, uh, you know, the guys, um, you know, essentially wanting, wanting an alien race prosecuted for uh, yes. abducting his great grandfather. I, I thought that was a really funny throwaway scene and I really enjoyed that. So according to JMS, and I used to watch this show, but I don't remember it, Sightings. If anyone ever watched Sightings, which was yeah. like a, a fake news, uh, aliens and ghosts, use the clip in the two of their alien episodes. His great-grandpappy abducted my great-grandpappy. I was laughing that entire scene. I thought it, it was fantastic. 
it's actually interesting because I, I know it's ran as a joke, but this is actually reparations commentary. Who right. owes what to who? And now we've got your UFO toting grandfather, you know, anal probed my grandfather. You owe me money. That's a that's actually a deep conversation to be had. And by the way, it was asked in the Usenets who won the case because we don't see it in the episode. JMS says they did settle out of court and the alien did have to pay some money back. <laughs> so, sorry for butt probing your grandpappy. That's but, probably um, the, check. the memo of the check. Right. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> butt probing. As much as I did actually think the, the the complete story arc of Jinxo coming around and kind of being a redeemed character was was nice. I thought it was super awkward at the end when he walks out wearing uh, <laughs> all this is like cloak. I'm like that dude moved into that cloak faster than a Halloween. Your spirit of Halloween moved into a Toys R Us. <laughs> <laughs> I like it was, that. It was real awkward. Uh, it was still warm. He's fine. <laughs> okay, now we've talked about Tom. And sorry, Tom, I love you. Some of these guys don't, but I do. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about that storyline before we get into the... There's really only one plot here, and that is the Grail, and then also the feeder kind of ties into it. But let's talk Grail first. Anything else anyone wants to talk about? And we haven't even talked about uh, David Warner too much yet. So anyone want to talk about that part of the uh, story and scene? We need to talk about Kosh. Okay, Jesse, we need to talk about Kosh. So here's a question I have for any... Okay, for the newbie. First things first, and I want you just to raise your hand and keep your hand up, and I will say who raises their hand. Did any of you actually think at the beginning of this episode that Kosh was sucking somebody's brains out? No one's... Oh, Justin, Justin, are you the only one? No, me too. For the first okay. second, I'm like, oh, hell no. I wrote okay, down. so Nicole and Justin thought that that was Kosh. WTF, I wrote down. Okay, cool. I, I, honestly, God, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just... Because me personally, I'm like... I did think it was him, and I was like, oh, hell no. Is that really Kosh? But then when I heard, must have older brains, must hungry food, I'm like, that's not Kosh. But that was after the uh, the the stinger. So the first part of the uh, thing, and then it went to commercial or went to opening credits. So you didn't get the voice until after. Right. No, I honestly thought it was Kosh at the very beginning, and I was like, okay, maybe now we're going to really find some of Kosh's to, you know, true intentions on the station. Like, why is he involved in the underworld? And all that stuff. And then all of a sudden that voice happened. And I was like, okay, that's not a real Kosh. Which voice? The little the squeaky one. I need more brains. You know, <laughs> he the, wants me to whatever. do it. Again. Older yeah. brains. Um, But no, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I love this show, honest to God, is because I know what happens next. So I can't have these thoughts anymore and I can't remember. But I've seen a lot of people online when it comes to this episode saying no one in their right mind is going to think that's Kosh. But right here we have two people who do. So that means in the audience that was watching this when it first aired, there are tons and tons of people who actually got that gag and thought it was Kosh. So that's good to know. Emily, what do you got? I didn't necessarily think it was Kosh. I was just really confused for like a few seconds because there was like, wait, I thought was a Centauri penis and why is it wiping someone's brain? And then a Kosh costume comes out and I'm like, but we saw in the episode where their insides glow it's not centauri and it was just more like what the hell <laughs> kevin kevin mike and blake when we were having the conversation should we stick with the original air dates or should we stick with the hbo max never once did the but the centauri penises are going to confuse them come up in that conversation <laughs> yeah n- never never did we consider that the centauri tentacle dicks would be the hang up on the order of the yeah, we didn't even think about that when we're like hey the uh they're gonna see quality of mercy before grail so they're gonna see Londo's tentacle before Kosh's. Great. Okay. Jesse, you want to. Had it not been the same damn shape, then I wouldn't have thought that's what it was. Like, 
you can't show me one episode where there's six of them and then show me one and expect me not to think that that's what it is. But anyway, moving on. But we've also kind of discussed this earlier with, because um, they said the, the Narcolin came from Centauri space. And we've also had references going back to uh, with the episode with uh, Marshall Teague and the name is escaping me at the moment. Scott, what damn episode am I thinking of? Infection. Yes, Infection. And, you know, one of the things mentioned during Infection was the lost race made a reference to Great Maker which that's the Centauri religion um, references great maker. So, you know, we've seen different races or related species in different offshoots or stages of development. So, I mean, it, I think it's plausible that this Narcolene feeder thing is uh, related to the Centauri in some way, shape or form. So, you know, the reuse of the prosthetic, that part didn't actually, you know, throw me for anything or. Yeah, I, 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 I read we the talked same about way. that last week on the Beyond the Rim segment. We did. We did. Because I think much like without getting into too much biology, most Earth species have somewhat the same looks because of evolution. Then, yeah, if the Narcolene and the Centauri come from the same planet, very well could be that way. Going back to did we think it was Kosh? How many episodes have we seen that somebody has posed as somebody else or somebody has um, said it was somebody else that was doing it? I saw it and I just assumed that it was just a costume and that I, I mean, I went straight to the fact that I assumed it was somebody posing as Kosh. So at no point did I think that it was actually Kosh. But also, I wouldn't put it past Kosh to be shady either. So that's kind of where where my head was at when I first saw him. But um, obviously it wasn't him when we heard the annoying voice. So um, and then at the very end, when Sinclair was telling him about it and uh, he was like, well, since people don't know what you look like, they kind of fear you. And he goes, good. And I was like, see, that's why I thought maybe it could have been him. Emily, go ahead. So one of the other things that for some reason Nicole made me think of is one of the few times we've seen Kosh was where he's has uh, Talia doing the mind thing while they're doing a business meeting. And it seems like he's just trying to gather information, which is what this little tentacle thing seems to be doing. Like it's either sucking information or memories or who knows what. I could kind of see where people might think it because it seems like another information gathering thing. And he really doesn't seem to be interested in following the rules or doing much else. He's just there for reasons we don't yet know. And this show absolutely has a thing for death of personality, doesn't it? We've we've had this come up a couple of times different ways. I think it's just JMS's worst nightmare and he puts it in everything. Despite the bad CGI, I actually thought the, the look of the alien was genuinely pretty creepy and frightening like at the end when garibaldi called for a medical emergency in brown nine like if i had seen that thing in a dark quarter brown nine could have been code <laughs> for my pants jms was really keen on it too on the usenets because he said it was going to be their first use of an asymmetrical alien because you know usually with sci-fi shows star trek in particular your actors are human so everyone's bipedal whether they're klingon vulcan whatever and this is a completely different looking alien because they were able to use cgi for the first time i mean you can tell it's for the first time but at least they're they're going down that road trying new things i was a little disappointed like they just had to shoot it and it was dead um as a gamer not super ideal like i want to actually put some work into it they just had to shoot it a couple times and it was like its brains were laying on the ground it was gross so he had oh, Amari, anybody you need more than one hit point is what you're saying like i i feel like you should have had to work for it but they didn't they just had to shoot it a couple times like they shot a guy in the arm and he died they shot this thing a couple times he died it was I will, I will say the 
shot it more than once. I, I think they 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 put a, several blasts into it. I would give I'm you the David War- I will give you the David Warner having you know one shot and done. This guy they emptied out a clip and the I don't know if we've talked about PPG PPGs yet, but they're um, thermal based. So because okay. you don't you don't want to be shooting projectiles in a sta- space station because that's bad. Right. So these are heat based, and so they're they're not a more nice. powerful. Yeah, right. they're not nice. We will see more of them throughout the show, and they, they leave damage for sure. Nicole, what do you got? Um, I kind of want to talk about how um, Aldis, when the thing was going to take the ombudsman, mm-hmm. uh, he stopped him and was like, he's under my protection. And then it stopped and it retreated. And then he told him to show itself and it came out. Like, what was all that about? Like, does he have a special power? Did he charm it? Like, that was something that I feel like we totally didn't even bring up. But I was like, what is happening? Like, how did he get that thing to stop? And like, how did he get it to come out? Like, what what is it about him that he is he like a, a fearful person or, you know, like, or is that more of an appropriate question for after, you know, questions and predictions? I may have had the hamster drop off the wheel there for a minute. So let me make sure I get this. So you're saying that, um, and I also watched this when I was in a, fever stupor uh aldous was able to distract the feeder is that what you're saying so he stopped the feeder from sucking the ombudsman's brains because the feeder went after aldous instead right no he didn't go after him he stopped him and said he's under my protection and it retreated and then he was like show yourself come out and then Uh, it came out and came face to face to him so like how did he do that like where did that come from or is that something that is a beyond the rim no i i always read that and tell me guys who've seen this before if you read it differently but i read it as the feeder feeds off and even said this experience and older brains so Mm -hmm. if we know that all all this is a seeker and is somebody who has experienced a great deal in his lifetime. Maybe the feeder is just sees that as more of a yummy morsel. Interested in him. Yeah. Cause I mean, earlier he says that the brains that deuce is feeding him are not experienced and old enough and he's yeah. not getting fed enough. So right. Of the people in the room, Aldous assumingly has the most life experience. That's how I read it. So maybe he was just interested in him and like, oh, well, let me stop and come to you. And somebody sticks a stick versus a steak in front of you, you're going to go for the steak. Right. He was probably about to strike before they came in. I got it. So I I see what Nicole's saying, though, because I rewatched that scene uh, just to make sure I was seeing it right. Because he did, because the feeder was going for the ombudsman. Aldrich stepped in front and said, you know, this man's under my protection. And the feeder, you know, stopped, kind of retreated back into the Kosh suit. And when guys said, show, or Aldrich said, show yourself, it the creature came out and just kind of stood there, didn't make a move at Aldrich. And, and then that's when the security team came in and started, you know, shooting everything up and the creature retreated into the rafter. So, no, there's definitely, I can see where you got that interpretation there because the creature did stop before moving and was paused before, right when security entered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it gave me a Beastmaster vibe. There you go. Now there's yeah. a movie Nicole hasn't seen. <laughs> I've seen Beastmaster. You, okay, time out. You've seen Beastmaster, but you haven't seen Rocketeer. My dad loved that movie. Okay. My dad loves Beastmaster. So that's why I've seen it. No, when I was little, like my dad would watch that movie all the time. Like that's one of his favorite movies. Now, have you seen Beastmaster 2 where he goes into the future? I don't think so. 
That's quality. And I really don't remember much of it. I just remember seeing it when I was a kid. You just remember Mark Singer is what you remember. No, I don't remember that either, but I'll go. He's the super never seen that movie. He's a shirtless guy. I always remember Beastmaster because there's two ferrets in it and we have ferrets. So it's all about the ferret. How come uh, nobody brought up the Vorlon striptease comment by Garibaldi? <laughs> okay are we gonna talk about delin and how suggestive she was with sinclair are we just gonna blow by that one i didn't pick up on that at all oh i did too for real totally. yeah oh, oh now we know what kevin's dates are like <laughs> wow. wow i mean this was borderline fruit scene <laughs> yeah she gave him like fuck me eyes for real <laughs> More than once. It was, yeah. Not pick up on that. Apparently, you don't understand you're a seeker as well. Seek this. <laughs> I, if anything, man, Sinclair's reaction when he when she was like, are you talking about this? And he's like, no. <laughs> John, do you have something you want to add to this conversation? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I mentioned before uh, and give... And I'm giving Garibaldi a lot of shit about his actual security and what's going on. Yes. So something that was interesting that they flat out talked about was that they un- they know exactly what's going on down there. They know they can get rid of it at any time. And I thought it was interesting, but also odd that Sinclair was basically like, eh, well, you know, what else are they going to do? They're kind of stuck here. We have to let a little bit of this go. And I just thought, man, I mean, I guess that's one way to look at I guess, petty crime or crime or, you know, Garibaldi insinuated that, you know, with a couple of uh, – squads he could he could eliminate all of basically b5's underworld and the fact that sinclair was like nah not yet or no don't do that i just thought that was interesting and but also weird yeah well and sinclair says why he thinks most of these folks are just down on their luck and you don't need to knock their heads i'm glad you brought this up though john because i know you've been hard on garibaldi and the the crime aspect of the show and uh, i alluded to this scene quite a few episodes ago where i i think i mentioned that you you don't send your chief of police into the most crime infested part of the city because there's not much they can do with it and i was referring to this and then we also talked about this beyond the rim too with why garibaldi was not as active in the underworld as uh, you would hope you would be. So I'm glad we finally got to this scene where you can see that. I don't know if you agree with them or not, but at least this is where the writers are going with this. And uh, the idea that yes, they are aware. Yes. They could do more than they are, but for many different reasons, they're not. Well, it also, you know, I mean, you know, agree or not. Cause I also thought it was interesting with the, the court scenes with the ombudsman too, which also seemed, uh, I guess, interesting, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the the fact that, you know, a, a guy was attempted to be robbed and then the judge handed a sentence, but then that guy said, oh, no, 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 I'll take him into my custody. And the ombudsman was like, yeah, right. I guess that works too. It just seemed, uh, I hope we get more out of that court stuff because I was uh, interested and confused. Well, and again, this is another one of those where our order is a little out of the way because this is the first time you should have saw ombudsman wellington and it's now the second so um you actually get more of him here even though you've already seen him once before with um the last episode okay let's go ahead and go into questions predictions any questions or predictions that come out of this episode we'll go to andrew first i only have one prediction here this whole episode jenko was talking about how the, about the babylon curse and how like anytime he tries to leave it blo- like, it's destroyed so my prediction is because obviously we have five seasons with the show, so the station's not going anywhere. But my prediction is that Jinxo leaving Babylon 5 will be one of the catalysts for whatever bigger conflict is coming. Okay. Jesse, questions, predictions? I have none. None. Emily, questions, predictions? 
Um, I want to know if Dylan and Sinclair ever get together. That's a conversation we're going to have beyond the rim. Of course it is. She does seem a little weird every time she goes around him. So I I do see the fuck me eyes. I do. I see them yes. too. John, what do you got? Questions, prediction? Uh, question. Uh, hopefully the action sequences get a little bit better or pick <laughs> up. Uh, I know we talk about the CGI, but some of the fight scenes, if you will, leave quite a bit to be um, desired. So uh, hopefully those pick up. Um, but otherwise, uh, my only prediction is that every time Londo comes on the scene, it's going to be the best part of every episode. Uh, <laughs> and I mentioned a little earlier, and this episode was no different. Um, every single part, when he ran away and forgot his credits, I, I, I was just laughing at that whole scene. Uh, and the fact that he gave them all that info real quick and immediately called and one of the quarantine. I don't know, his stuff is just great. So uh, my prediction is uh, Londo's the man and it's never going to change but i don't have any questions i will say to the the fight scenes they do get better the cgi gets better the fight scenes get better again we've already talked to production order a little bit this is the ninth episode they produced we're seeing it as the 16th episode right is that where we're at and this is the ninth one they produced that being said the season one is them getting their feet and getting under their feet underneath them and everything else. I think you're going to be, don't get me wrong. It's a nineties TV show. It's always going to be a nineties TV show, but I think you're going to be happy with where this goes in terms of production value. Nicole questions, predictions. I really don't have a lot of questions. I just was curious about Aldris, Aldis, sorry, and his power over the creature. Um, and, uh, Really, that was my only real question. As far as prediction wise, I also too was curious about the Babylon curse that Andrew mentioned. Like, is mm-hmm. this going to cause a problem for Babylon 5 with that guy leaving? I mean, obviously, probably not, but you know, you just never know in these TV shows. So, mm-hmm. and Justin, questions, predictions. I mean, I guess one question is I think it kind of touched on it a little bit earlier is if the Grail and I guess this kind of Templarish order ever kind of makes its way back into the storyline at all. Um, and then I guess kind of a prediction, I'm starting to get kind of Benjamin Cisco vibes uh with Sinclair. Uh-huh. Like is, is yeah, does does Sinclair kind of kind of whether you want to call Starbuck or you know, Cisco, does does Sinclair have some kind of special destiny uh within the B5 universe and maybe becomes something more to the Mimbari people with than he already is, which kind of touches on some of the things that we've discussed in past episodes about, is he a sleeper agent? Is he, what is, what does Sinclair mean to the Mimbari people? I think maybe we kind of got a little bit more of a touch on this in this episode. And I really want to know where it goes from there. Cool. So we'll go ahead and leave it there, guys. We're going to kick our newbies out the airlock so we can answer these questions, predictions and beyond the rim. So if you are new to Babylon five and have only been watching along with us, you should leave after the credits. And then if you don't care about spoilers or have watched the entire show, stick after the credits and we will answer these questions and talk a little bit more about the episode in its proper place amongst the five seasons of the show. Until next week, when we talk about eyes, I am Scott and with me has been Blake, Jesse, Emily, Justin, Nicole, Andrew, Mike, Kevin, and John. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to gray 17, a Babylon five podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray 17 podcast. We want to hear from you. So please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. 
Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. All right, welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, just final warning, if you do not want to be spoiled, there's not much to spoil out of this episode. Leave now. So, guys, um, first thing I want to hit on is, again, I think Justin's cheating. I honest to God think he's cheating now because he is getting way too close. <laughs> so let's discuss why Justin's cheating and knows what's happening next. Yeah. When he said special destiny, I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So my thing is, I'm not convinced Justin's not seen this show. I don't think Justin necessarily remembers seeing it. And I don't <laughs> think he's watched it all the way through. It was a, it was in a a, a, a drug induced stupor when he watched it the last well, time. Because I mean, because he's hung out with Kevin and I for how long, and I know we've both talked to him about watching this show. We've both referenced it around him previously. He's been exposed to enough of it, I think, before this. I think it's clicking in his head where he's seeing more of the plot lines than necessarily he, some of the other newbies. He's not doing it intentionally in that case. Then, yeah, I, I don't think he's doing it intentionally. I just think he's been around it more than he realizes and he's piecing it together it's making it a little clearer for him i will say again we've we said a couple times right with this episode this was in production order nine so the whole delin hitting on sinclair which um i don't see it as much as the newbies but whatever at this point i'm pretty sure we're still in the sinclair is the chosen one story and that he'll be mating with delin to merge the species so I think they're definitely hitting on that more in this episode than we will see down the road in season one, where we're starting to potentially see that they're starting to shift storylines. So I still don't even necessarily think it's hitting on or, you know, even what's been referenced as the fuck me eyes in this, you know, I don't think that's necessarily where we're at. You look at the, the mannerisms of other Membari, particularly within the religious cast. Um, they had the episode where they had the uh, performing artist on the station, the Mimbari. And, you know, she had that very same almost soft, sensual way of speaking to other characters. And when she was interacting with others, that uh, Delenn has that same characteristic when interacting with people. Uh, so I don't necessarily think it's a relationship or a romantic interest as much as it is just the way the Mimbari religious cast are personality wise i can see that what are the questions that we have guys so does jinxo leaving babylon 5 cause any issues for babylon 5 no no um yes the security chief will get shot in the back the commander will be transferred (laughs) and five years down the road uh well actually 20 years down the road the station will be a boom the station will be blown up using the exact same footage from season one Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think uh I think it is interesting. This is the first time we've heard that B1 through 3 were sabotaged. We've heard they've blowed up, but they've been sabotaged. And one of the things that um in my head canon has always been that it was something to do with the shadows not wanting Babylon projects to come online. But in my research, I did find JMS said that's not the case. 
it is anti-alien um, terrorists, not even the same groups every time. It's just when you have this big project coming online, a lot of groups don't want it to happen. And so they screwed with it three times and probably would have screwed with it the fourth time, but they didn't get the chance. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they specifically mentioned the B1 and B2 were sabotaged. I, I thought he just said B3 blew up. He kind of cut off. He, he just said yeah. he left and B and B3 happened. Um, so yeah, most, right. most notable was I, I think nobody really talked about the uh, admission about B4 that it vanished that Jinxo witnessed it wrinkle and twist like butter and disappear mm-hmm. right before his eyes. I thought somebody else would jump on that. But they'll get more of that when we get to Babylon Squared. And you know, again, in my head canon, I always assume that Jinxo's on one of those shuttles <laughs> that gets evacuated. He's yeah. there. Mm-hmm. What else we got? See, uh, something about the way Aldous controlled the creature. No, he is not a Beastmaster. We don't know what that was about. No, I always, I, I mean, I, I can see where Nicole's coming from, especially after Blake kind of. It was weird. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I think it's, yeah, one and done. We obviously aren't going to see the Grail storyline, although we are going to see King Arthur. We will see King Arthur, kind of, kind of, sort of. The one thing we didn't mention on the Delin Sinclair that Emily actually did ask do we see Sinclair and Dylan get together? No, we do not. We will see Dylan get together with Sheridan, who takes over for Sinclair. But no, we do not see that. Again, one thing, um, I think I've alluded to this a couple of times. When we get to the end of season one, I intend to work with you all, and we've already chatted about this a little bit internally, to do a special episode about what the original plan was. So we're going to go a deep dive into what would have happened if Sinclair, Michael O'Hare would have stayed on for all five seasons, potentially all 10 seasons, but we'll get into that. So we will get more into detail on that once we get through season one. Anything else, guys? Andrew had a prediction about Jinxo leaving Babylon 5 will become a catalyst for a greater conflict to come. Uh, no, no. The conflict is already started. Jinxo yes. was not actually secretly the linchpin. Nope. Sorry, Tom. You're not. <laughs> well, again, I think even alluded this this episode's a completely self-contained. Yeah. Yeah. This is probably going to be our shortest beyond the rim because I'm pretty sure that's everything. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, guys. So next week, we're going to talk about ice. And I think that's going to be a much more impactful episode, not only for the newbies, but also for us first ones as we did talk about that. Also, too, if you haven't started uh, checking these out, uh, we are doing commentaries of the episodes before we do this discussion. So at this point, when you're listening to this, uh, Kevin and a few others have already done a commentary for eyes. And we've done other commentaries for other episodes as well, too. So if you have been somebody who's watched B5 before and you want to get a little bit more inside uh, information from us as we're watching the episode with you, go over to YouTube and find our Gray 17 podcast channel, which is in the show notes below. And you can check out all those uh, commentaries as well as the uh, video version of these podcasts as well, too. Until next week, when we look into Sinclair's troubled command style, I have been Scott and with me has been Kevin and Blake. And we will see you in Gray 17. Thanks, everybody. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, review. Bye. No boom today. Boom tomorrow. There's always a boom tomorrow. What? Look, somebody's got to have some damn perspective around here. Boom. Sooner or later. Boom. Who's <sighs> to the left of me? Feeders to the right. I need to find a real job.